Welcome back to the Queer Circle Podcast, where usually queer healers come to the mic to share their journey and what they tell their younger selves. My name is Billy, the creator of the podcast, and while often you don't hear me, today we're going to be doing something a little different. In this podcast, we focus on the circle and what is contained by it. Within the circle, we explore the lived experience of queerness and all of its intersections. But there's something outside that circle that I wanted to take an episode to talk about. For those who are outside the circle wondering what they can do to support Black, trans, queer, marginalized lives, we are highlighting allyship in action as a model of possibility. I'm happy to invite both personal friends, Kaylee and Kelly, here today to talk about allyship and what that looks like in real, actionable ways. Welcome to the Queer Circle, Kaylee and Kelly. My name is Kaylee. My pronouns are she and her, and I'm an acupuncturist and herbalist practicing in Los Angeles on Tongva land. And I'm also the founder and board member of Inclusively Well. Hi, my name is Kelly, pronouns she, her, and I am a black acupuncturist and herbalist based in Los Angeles, also on Tongva land, and I am the owner of Herbal Acupuncture and Herbal Medicine and also a board member uh, for Inclusively Well. I know both Kaylee and Kelly because we went to school together. I shadowed Kaylee as an intern and was struck by her conscientious, gentle style of patient care. So when she told me about Inclusively Well, I had to know what she was cooking up. Yeah, so Inclusively Well was sort of a long time coming and a short time coming for me. It is a nonprofit that is a sponsorship fund for acupuncture. So basically people can apply and priority goes to people within under-resourced communities, so BIPOC, people with disabilities, LGBTQIA, and so they apply for a sponsorship and they get six treatments paid for from the fund. And it's treatments that are with acupuncturists in their private practice, so they get the full experience and quality, high quality of care. The inspiration for it came from a few different places. So back before the pandemic, I volunteered at this event called the Westside Coalition. And it's a resource fair for unhoused people in Los Angeles where they have access to phones, clothes, shoes, haircuts. And I was connected to them through my sister who does like philanthropy work with a tech company that she works for and so she was like would you be interested in doing acupuncture there and I was like yeah totally so it's a four-month thing that they do and I was coming in in the second month to start doing acupuncture and they do it during the winter months and my sister was showing this guy around because the way the fair works in short is like each person who 
is at the resource fair, who's getting resources, <clears throat> is being shown around by a volunteer so they know, like, okay, what do you need? Let me take you to, you know, the places you need to go. So my sister was taking this guy around, and he, was, he had Bell's palsy, and he was talking about how he really wanted to get acupuncture, but he could never afford it, and, like, it was just not within his reach. Because he had, like, heard through the grapevine that acupuncture's great for Bell's palsy, and he was so embarrassed about the way that he looked. And so she was like, oh, well, we're going to have an acupuncturist here next month. And she said that his face just, like, was shocked, and he, like he had tears in his eyes and I thought she was being sort of dramatic when she was telling me about it just to like make me excited and but then when we went the next month he was the first in line and he was so excited and so grateful and you know when we went the month after that he was the first in line again and he I just specifically with Bell's palsy, not to get too much into it, but, like, he needed more treatments. He needed consistent treatment, and he needed, like, access to care that he didn't have. And so I was like, I wish that there was something, like, that he could get, where he could get treatment, not have to pay for it, someone else could pay for it, and he could get, like, consistent care for a period of time. So I thought about doing that within my own practice, having some sort of sponsorship where people could donate, and then COVID happened, so that sort of just fell to the wayside. And then during the pandemic and after George Floyd was killed, I offered a, I had an offering of free acupuncture for black people in the community in LA. And I just was going to have a day where people could come and just relax and, like, be taken care of and have their nervous system calmed. And, and it ended up there was a huge turnout and a lot of people reached out. And so many of the people that came had never had acupuncture before. For a lot of them, it, like, wasn't on their radar. But they felt so good and they felt really surprised at how effective it was and how helpful it was at just like calming their nervous system. So then I just, I wanted, I came up with the idea for Inclusively Well to expand it beyond me because it wasn't something that I could do or wanted to do on my own. I wanted to like include other practitioners. So yeah, that is the... When Kaylee was in early stages of building Inclusively Well, we spoke over the phone about some of the ideas. But more importantly, Kaylee was interested in exploring some of the ways that she, as founder, could be certain she didn't co-opt the work she found so necessary by centering herself as a white, cis, able-bodied woman. This level of care, previewing the potential pitfalls and setting up accountability is something I admire about all true allies, but especially Kaylee. So I'm interested in hearing what specific ideas she came up with. I think it's really important to include, to have a really diverse board, but also a really diverse 
practitioner directory. And I also think it's really important within our medicine to like uplift black practitioners and to also, I think this Inclusively Well is only a small part of this. There are other organizations that are, that are doing work in this and it's, it's a big issue, but just the access to becoming an acupuncturist for black people, I think, is a really big problem. So just highlighting black acupuncturists is important. And, and then also for the whole directory, I think it's really important to make sure people are getting compensated because we do work really hard and our, you know, the work that we do is, is special and it makes a big difference and our medicine can really change people's lives. And I know with my own experience with doing community acupuncture and charging a lesser fee, I often have to rush in a way that I don't want to rush and in a way that I don't want the people who are getting these sponsorships to feel rushed. I want them to like get the highest quality of care as if they were paying like top dollar for their treatment. It's important to have a diverse board because it's important to have people like making decisions for the organization who actually, who actually have these lived experiences that I don't have. And so, you know, I chose to ask Kelly to be on the board. I mean, Kelly's just like a really rad person if you know her. And, but also she has the lived experience of being black and queer. And she also has been doing this work for a long time. And if, if you, when I was, when I was thinking about who I wanted to ask, first of all, she was excited about the initiative when I sent out that initial email. And then I went to her website and just, I mean, she, she already had such a focus on inclusion within her practice and, and in her as a practitioner and the way she presented herself to the community. And so, yeah, I was so nervous to ask her to be on the board because I really wanted her to say yes. (laughs) And then she did. And, and I've seriously, like, I mean, I knew going into this that like, I obviously don't know, I don't have all the answers. I'm going through my own processes with being an ally and understanding my own privilege and how I've been part of these oppressive systems. So I knew like, having someone like Kelly on the board and Sinai that I was going to learn a lot, but I feel like in such a short amount of time, I've really learned a lot from Kelly, which I'm super grateful for. I think it says a lot about Kaylee's allyship that a black queer person would be excited about partnering with her on this venture. No doubt Kaylee's allyship being open to questioning and growth has been a huge part in this. I'm interested in why Kelly found Inclusively Well so important to support. Inclusively Well, I mean, why it's so important to me. You know, I'm thinking about Kelly at, I don't know, 23, 24, 
who, you know, was just getting on the path of becoming an acupuncturist and just remembering what I didn't see. And I was like, is this really for me? And, you know, can I do this? How can I carve out space in this world and really be effective and give back to the people that look like me? Because as soon as I got into school, yeah, I wasn't seeing it. I wasn't seeing faculty. I wasn't seeing acupuncturists out in the world. I wasn't seeing my body reflected in text. I wasn't hearing about issues that were specific to my community. And I felt, I mean, I felt, you know, pretty isolated. So what this, you know, inclusively well and just beyond, it really gives me hope for representation and visibility and the elevation of, you know, you know, people that look like me who can really, in a lot of ways, reclaim this medicine because, you know, it's just as much theirs as anyone else. Being the founder and board member while not centering herself is a task Kaylee feels up to thanks to the support of her POC board. I put a lot of trust into what input Kelly and Sinai have. And Sinai is our other board member. And, you know, I, their opinion is just as valid as mine when we're making decisions about the organization. And so I think that is a checkpoint because again, there's a lot that I don't know and I could be doing something that might be a microaggression or it might, you know, cause further harm. So that's one thing. Kelly, I've known for some years now, a sweet, <laughs> lighthearted, intelligent person. I'm interested in hearing from Kelly what allyship means to her. So allyship to me is just in general, the continual inquiry and disruption of the biases and privileges that inform how we engage with the world around us, right? And it's really important that as allies, we're really cognizant of the spaces we take up and who has access to those spaces and really speaking up for and not over people in positions of less privilege when they are being underrepresented, unheard, disrespected, or harmed in general. Allyship is an ongoing process. It's not a destination. And it's not something that should be self-assigned or optical. And it's about listening. It's about educating yourself and, you know, understanding lived experiences and the variance and the pluralism that exists within those experiences, honoring lived identities, um, respecting terminology, but also understanding that terminology um, is something you should be critical of because a lot of terminology comes from white academic spaces and not everyone within these communities knows the language or is comfortable using it. And as a mixed race, queer, black woman, I existed a lot of intersections and hold a lot of marginalized identities, but I also carry a lot of privilege. I have light skin privilege and that proximity to whiteness offers me unearned access to the benefits of society that a dark, uh, dark skinned black woman won't, doesn't have. And you know, I'm getting in rooms, I'm getting opportunities and because of how my skin tone is stratified, I am deemed more desirable, more agreeable and more acceptable for mass consumption. 
And on top of that, I have cis privilege. You know, I'm not, I don't have to worry about being misgendered or being denied healthcare access and able-bodied privilege too. So really in these spaces, and there's more privileges I have, I would say those are the dominant ones, but it's really important for me to make sure that I'm using my privilege um, for people who have less privilege to make sure they're taking up as much space as I am, if not more, and that I'm calling them in and elevating them. And this is especially important if I'm in a position where I have influence over the structural integrity of a system. And um, lastly, just you know, back to you know, what is an ally, um, it's about taking correction. We're human, we're flawed, we're gonna get it wrong. Um, but I think what's really important in those spaces and in those interactions is leading with compassion. And when you accept that correction, um, your response shouldn't be centering yourself. And um, you really need to be integrating that feedback so you can do better next time. To me, allyship means being of support and asking questions rather than trying to act like I know the answer or guess what the answer is or assume what the answer is, but to, as a, like, cis white woman, to ask someone who exists within these marginalized communities, like, what is it that you need? What is it that makes you feel safe, comfortable, rather than making the assumption. And I think it's also uplifting the voices of these communities and, again, listening rather than being the one talking all the time. And, and constantly checking myself. For me, as I'm trying to be an active ally, really asking myself, okay, why am I doing this? What am I doing this for? Making sure that I'm not centering it on myself. And, and it's really easy to recognize how problematic it is when I have those moments where like my ego gets involved and so, yeah, just really having people around me that can also check me and check my privilege and, and hold me accountable for the work. I know, being a minority, a person of color and queer person, that safe spaces don't really exist, even in safer spaces there always seems to be an element that encroaches on us being who we are in our fullness. And that is a challenge that Inclusively Well has to both acknowledge and work to improve. I'm interested in hearing from Kelly, a black queer woman, how Inclusively Well is working to take care of their most vulnerable patients. Like Kaylee mentioned earlier, um, one of the biggest things for Inclusively Well, especially with me coming on board, was making sure that these people were being sent to spaces where they feel safe and affirmed. That was number one, um, just because I know in my experience I've had as a black patient, as a black student, as a black acupuncturist, I've been harmed in healing spaces. 
So it was one of the most important things. And um, yeah, and doing it this way, I think we all, like I said, have work to do. And, you know, it's not enough. Six treatments isn't enough, but it's a start. And on kind of a wider, kind of um, a wider scope, it doesn't mean anything if you treat them and you go back to who you were, or you're not constantly re-examining and reflecting on what you've done in those spaces and how you've helped or harmed people in those spaces. So I think um, by making that available, because a lot of people don't know where to start, um, you know, and a lot of people can perform that they do and still cause harm. So this is a kind of a safe way for people to, you know, dig in, you know, do better, learn, um, and also help the community as a whole. Because when you are expanding, um, you know, your knowledge, your education, um, your forms um, of not being a vector of toxicity and harm, um, it's helping everyone in the community. Obviously, the people are getting healed, um, but it's helping our profession. I didn't mention this in the beginning, but part of the initiative is making sure that the people that we're sending these sponsorship recipients to are really doing the work themselves. Because the last thing we want to do is send someone to a place where they are further harmed or it's not a safe enough space for them. And so, because a lot of people, you know, we just, we just, did our first cohort and like gave out our first batch of sponsorships, which is amazing and exciting. And, you know, a lot of the people that, that applied have had bad experiences in healthcare. And, and so I think that was just a validation of like, okay, we really need to make sure that we're sending people to safe spaces. So when we, when people sign up for the directory, the practitioners, they have to go through a series of questions, just asking them, you know, what's your experience like working with these communities and what does anti-racist work mean to you? Why do you want to be a part of this directory and part of Inclusively Well? And so I think it's really important to ask those questions because that is, that's a, that's a huge part of our mission just as much as giving away these sponsorships. Another inspiration behind Inclusively Well is my mom, who's disabled and uses a wheelchair. She, you know, I watched her, I watched her struggle through all the healthcare systems, but specifically I watched her, I had my, I don't even think I had started school yet, or no, I had started acupuncture school and I knew how much, no, I, I don't know if I started acupuncture school, but I was into acupuncture and I had gotten it myself and I knew how great it was. And so I convinced her to go see an acupuncturist. And when she went, she just had a not great experience. And, and she went to a couple of different practitioners and she really had to educate them on her disability and they would move her in ways that made her feel uncomfortable. And so there wasn't, there wasn't an awareness on their part of like, well, let me ask questions. Like what's, what's comfortable for you? How can I, you know, how can we get you on the table that makes you feel comfortable and like, you know, so 
that's another piece where education is really important and just being aware of different bodies because not all of us you know I am I understand that like not everyone has a family member that's that's disabled and so the only reason I had that awareness going into my practice was because of my mom so I think if we can just open people's eyes to that and and just being being curious about what I, I feel like I keep saying this like I'm a broken record but like just asking questions and being curious about what people want in their healthcare experience and what what they need I hear a lot from people who might call themselves allies that they want to help the queer community but they don't know what to do often that sense of powerlessness can lead to a sort of complacency in which just being a good person becomes a form of self-defined allyship. What allyship asks of us is discomfort. The discomfort of the sense of powerlessness can be a motivator for self-discovery, of learning how to lean into our discomfort in service of more vulnerable populations. I read something which made a lot of sense to me as a black person. It said, until white people see anti-black racism as a white problem, they will make it a black problem to be solved. But black people can't solve white issues. And so what is essentially being done is through passivity, white people are keeping racism in place to consolidate their power. Similarly for queer phobia, as long as cisgender heterosexual people make queer phobia a queer problem to be solved and not a cisgender heterosexual problem to address, cisgender heterosexual people are consolidating power and leaving queer people behind, contributing to their oppression. And so just being good is not good enough. And a true ally knows this. But the question still exists. How do persons interested in being allies show allyship? Yeah, ways you can show allyship, and this is myself included. I think um, one of the first things is asking the question, how are you presenting digitally? Because that's where a lot of you know, communication is happening right now. So are you using pronouns in your introductions, in your bios, in your email signatures? And really looking at your feeds or your grids and thinking about what you're displaying. Are you showing a range of bodies and experiences? And if you are someone who likes to educate on these platforms, whether that's in real life or di digitally, are you being comprehensive about what you're talking about? Um, if you're talking about women's health and you're not talking about the high incidence of fibroids in the black community or the mortality rate, and childbirth of black women, you're not being a comprehensive educator. And what you're signaling is, you know, women's health is only for a certain, you know, person. So really being comprehensive on your education, again, doing all the other things, listening, learning, growing, taking your corrections. And um, if you can, um, redistributing um, funds and wealth. Um, Inclusively Well is doing this. At the core, we're a community fund. Right, So we're all coming together to redistribute those funds. But if you can do that in your practice for BIPOC or other marginalized um, people, that's equally as effective. And also keeping in mind that when you're doing this, this isn't charity. This is owed. Um, so having that, um, that mindset when you go into it. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, saying pronouns, yes, it's really good um, for people who don't have cis privilege. And what you're really just doing is you're dissolving assumptions. And um, you're normalizing it in this way to make it seem that it's not an inconvenience or high maintenance. Because um, we're in this society, anything extra or anything outside of you know, what you experience is normal, um, is pathologized and kind of um, excluded. So when we're doing this, um, it's a way to check assumptions. It's a way to neutralize the playing field for everyone. And it's a way for people to really kind of show up, you know, as who they are and be um, as expanded in the space as they can be. Kelly brings up a good point. By using pronouns for all patients, cisgender assumed or not, we are normalizing the practice of asking for and providing pronouns. While cisgender patients who are not yet allies may scoff at this practice and question it, it offers an opportunity for the ally to call them into allyship. For others, seeing trans and queer people visibilized in this way counters the erasure and violence we see enacted in other structures, like the media. Here's how Kaylee practices allyship. So as a practitioner, ways that I you know, try to be an ally is I include you know, pronouns on my forms. I have, you know, on my email, I have pronouns after my name just as a way to normalize that. And I also try to put as much information on my website as I can. And, you know, as my space is wheelchair accessible so that people don't have to ask these extra questions. And you know, just inquiring more about, I think it's, I've learned in this process that I used to think that I had to know everything as a healthcare provider about the body and about, you know, just basically about health and the body. But I think knowing that I don't know a lot and to be able to ask people questions and be like, is there anything else that I can do to make you more comfortable? Can I lower the table for you? Um, would it be easier for me to treat you in your wheelchair? Or would you rather be, can I help you onto the table? You know, I think not being scared to ask questions is really helpful. And I've, I've, I've had good experience with that. And I think people feel cared for when you inquire specifically for them what what do they need and what makes them feel safe and taken care of and and then I think just constantly being open to learning more and and how I can be a more inclusive practitioner and you know trying to read books and and listen to people who have these lived experiences of like what makes a safe space for them and then including those in my own practice and in the way that I present myself as a practitioner. I'm always interested in how allies come to be, what they're reading, how they find what they find, 
that helps them inform their allyship? Well, we have, we have for Inclusively Well, we created a, a, what we're calling an informed clinician syllabus. So that's on our website and it basically just has a bunch of resources like books, podcasts, what else? Um, I think it's mostly books and podcasts, but there it's about disability, visibility, you know, intersectionality, anti-racist work. So it kind of covers all the ground of what we want practitioners to be learning about when it comes to being an ally. So there's that. And then I also think just when you can, when you, we can put aside what our version of normal is and look outside of ourselves and listen to the people within these communities with these lived experiences and allow that to be normal and, and sort of, I think those are the best resources that I've found in my work as an ally or in my work towards becoming a better ally is just listening to those people, listening to what they have to say and listen to Queer yeah. Circle podcasts. Listen to Queer Circle. Yeah, everything, everything Kaylee said. And on top of that, I know growing up, um, what was big for me to kind of um, expand my world was really reading biographies on a range of people. And obviously there's some liberties taken when these are written, but this really helped me understand those lived experiences of people that were different than me, but equal. And um, so that was really helpful. Another um, is the Trans Wellness Initiative. Um, There's a lot of really good resources. Um, Also, um, I really like what Erica Hart's doing on Instagram. So like Kaylee said, you know, find these people Um, you know, follow their stories, listen to interviews, and um, just kind of dig into their work while supporting their work. Um, And be in community, you know, check in with your local herbalist or your acupuncturist and, you know, support their work and learn their work. And that'll give you kind of an idea of, you know, how they came to be, the work they're doing, um, and what you can do to support them and people that exist um, in the intersections they do. A lot of this work has been soul-searching, inquiry into what it means to be human, a practitioner, and an ally. How do those learnings influence the way we see ourselves and our work in the world? One thing that I have thought about a lot this year is, is sort of reframing my idea of success and how that, how that can transfer into allyship and how as a white cis woman I am like I could be so successful in my practice but if I'm not taking actions to like offer community care and to not have this to have an idea or a feeling or an expression of abundance, but not in the way that's, oh, this is all for me and I'm making a living and I'm putting all this money into my savings, which like is 
great to plan and be, you know, that's one level of success. But I don't think that can exist without giving some of that back and giving some of it up and and doing work for the community and in whatever way you can, whatever service you have to offer, whatever, you know, it doesn't have to be this grand gesture, but I think we can't really call ourselves successful practitioners if we're if we're contributing to these oppressive systems. And healthcare is definitely yes. I think if you do feel like you are successful and you have enough to give and you you want to be an ally but you don't know how or where to put your energy or your money. I think being an ally doesn't doesn't mean one thing or doing one thing. It's it's doing a bunch of different things. And so the money that goes into inclusively well goes into giving acupuncture to members of the community and making the opportunity come up for a lot of people that otherwise wouldn't be exposed to acupuncture and also giving people people the opportunity to have a treatment in a space where like we're aware that not all healthcare spaces are safe so there's that added part to it and so yeah if you've for people who have had good experiences with acupuncture this is a great way to give back and to give people the opportunity to access that medicine and experience it yeah and um just to build on that um when when you're donating um you are supporting collective healing and as a society we're only as liberated as our most vulnerable populations which is the populations that we're treating so um you know this is this is going in it for everyone obviously specifically but this is really something that's um just bigger than the people we're helping it's for it's on a larger scale for um, society. Inclusively Well already started off with a big bang and excitement is building for their plans in 2021. So the plans for 2021, um, obviously expanding to more cities in the United States. Um, we would love to offer more treatments to um, our sponsorship recipients. And um, we would love to have more collaborative partnerships within our community, do more community events, and just continue to bring more and more people into our initiative um, that are different and elevate their voices um, so we can be a truly inclusive space. Thank you for joining us today, Kaylee and Kelly. If you'd like to learn more about Inclusively Well's work or get in contact with Kaylee or Kelly, you can find them on Instagram at inclusivelywell. Kaylee can be found at Hopper Acupuncture and Kelly at Revolt Acupuncture. Or you can find all their information under this podcast episode on our site, QueerCirclePodcast.com. Music for this episode provided by Purple Fluorite, available where music can be streamed, iTunes, Spotify, Bandcamp, and beyond.